Uh, before moving to Montreal, uh, I worked as a social worker, and I worked in a, in a, in a group home. And in that group home, uh, you could try and call out of work, but if you called out, you would have to find someone to replace you. So it was easier just to just come in and fall asleep on the couch and be disciplined that way than try and um, be disciplined through calling out. So um, anyway, I share all that wonderful uh, detail with you. Just say, like, this morning was one of those mornings I would just call out of work, uh, but uh, there's, there's, no, um, there's no preacher just waiting uh, under that curtain over there to come out. So um, so really sick this morning, uh, cold meds, so you're going to get lots of, and and that's just your gift. You know, I didn't have anything else to bring you this morning, uh, so that's your gift. Um, by the way, um, students, David Ritz uh, just invited you to procrastinate more. Um, I know that you don't study all the time, right? I know that. And so you just heard him say, I'd love to take you out to coffee, and you're like, yes. I'm going to go out to coffee with that guy, so I don't need to study. I, I'm taking back David's offer for coffee, um, so no longer do you have to go to coffee with him. You need to study. So, um, uh, and I'm just saying that because I'm upset because I'm sick. Uh, so I'm going to pray. Did this like joyful song, and I'm like, I'm not clapping. I'm not joyful yet. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray uh, that my soul would become joyful and, uh, and that we would have a uh, good morning together, worshiping fully. Uh, Lord, Thank you that you are a great God, that you, um, that you are above uh, sickness, that you are uh, above the circumstances, but you don't just hover above those, you enter into those and you change circumstances that are hard. Uh, thank you that we don't have to rely on our own power or our own strength, but that we can rely on you. And, and you say things in scripture through your servants, like uh, when we're weak, uh, then we're strong because it's, it's your grace and your power that's working through us. And so, uh, so we come to you this morning, some of us um, demonstrating it, uh, outwardly more than others, uh, just weak, saying that we need you to, to, to help us. Some of us come in with, with hearts uh, that, that are sick and, and a joyful, clappy, clappy song at the beginning is not where we're at. Um, but would you bring our hearts to, to joy? Uh, would you bring our hearts to uh, celebrate who you are and what you've done? So we love you and we need you. Amen. Uh, since I'm in such a chipper mood, I thought I'd ask you about uh, your worst Christmas. Uh, those are fun memories to bring back, right? Um, but let's not think about your memories. Let's think about what would be the worst Christmas. And the media and uh, movies, right? We meet in a movie theater. Uh, movies do such a great job at showing us uh, maybe what a worst Christmas would look like. When I was a kid, we didn't go to the movies very much. We didn't have a whole lot of money. So when we went to the movies, it was amazing. And I remember my mom bringing my sister and I to see Home Alone. And I, I love the movie, but I remember thinking as a little kid, like, these parents are idiots. Like, who forgets their kid, Right? Like, that would be a horrible Christmas, being a seven or eight-year-old, being home alone, and having the wet bandit show up in your neighborhood to take over your house. And then you really suck his parents to do it twice, right? There's a sequel. How do you mess this up twice? This would be a bad, bad Christmas. Uh, maybe uh, you would be like the, the movie Four Christmases. How many of you have seen that? Irrelevant. Um, so in Four Christmases, these two people want to go on vacation to a nice warm place instead of being uh, with their family because their family's crazy, okay? And so they all have 
you know, two parents, two parents, and the step-parents. So they have four Christmases that they have to go to. Maybe that would be your idea of the worst Christmas. Maybe your idea of the worst Christmas would be like a Christmas carol, like Scrooge on acid. Like we read this to little kids and show it to them and they're like, what's going on? And you're like, I don't know. I can't explain this fully to you because it's just not logical or anything of that nature. But nonetheless, you meet the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, and you get pulled out of bed in your jammies and like pushed over your own grave, and that might be your worst Christmas. Or then there's Krampus. Oh, man, what, what, what origin is that? Someone yell that out. Who is it? Andrew Fulford, what? German. All right. They hate kids. <laughs> they really do. Uh, because it's like Santa Claus is going to come, right? He's going to squeeze his big bottom down your chimney or somehow break into your house and he's going to give you gifts. But if you're bad, this half goat, half demon is going to come in and he's going to eat you, right? Like, so you better be good so that the fat man comes down our chimney. It's really crazy. But what could be worse than Krampus? What could be worse than Krampus? And they made a horror movie about that, right? Um, I didn't see that. Uh, but what could be worse than that? Maybe it's finding out that you have an elf for a son. <laughs> Holding up for someone special. <laughs> and do you know what? That movie is actually the closest thing to the story we're going to look at this morning. Finding out you have an elf for a son. Showing up at your house and kind of ruining your life. This is, this is kind of the story that we're going to get at this morning. So we're doing this thing called Advent Conspiracy. Advent means coming, all right? So we're celebrating the first coming of Jesus, that he came, you know, little baby Jesus. If you remember Talladega Nights, you know, eight pound, five ounce, baby Jesus, gold to fleece diaper. We're celebrating baby Jesus. Uh, but then when we think about Advent, we think about the second coming, that Jesus is coming back again. And he's not coming as a baby, He's coming as a warrior, as a king, rightfully ruling and reigning over everything. And so we remember his first coming and we look forward to his second coming. And then the conspiracy, that there's something deeper going on, that, that we believe that God has this conspiracy thing going on about Advent. That there's more than just tree. And did you ever stop to think that maybe the Christmas tree wasn't inspired by the Lord? wasn't, but I mean, we like our tree. It's nice. But that there's something deeper going on to Advent than just presents or gifts or reindeer. And in fact, God didn't write any of that stuff in. There's something much deeper going on. So today, what we're going to look at is this idea of worshiping fully. We all worship. And at Christmas time, uh, oftentimes our worship comes out. We worship the best deals. We worship the response of the person that we give the gift to. Uh, we worship ourselves because we want to make sure that we're getting the best gifts. We worship our ideas. We worship all kinds of things. And so we want to start out the season of Advent by focusing our attention in on the one that, that this Advent season is all about. And in fact, that life is all about. So today we're going to look at the gift, the gift of, of Advent, we want to look at the circumstances. We want to look at the response. We want to look at the content of the gift. And then we'll respond to this as well. All right, so that's where we're going this morning. We're going to be in the, in the passage that David just read for us. So we'll be in, in Luke. And so we're going to look at the circumstances surrounding this advent, this coming. 
And we begin in Luke 1, 27. A virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So you imagine this woman, Mary, she's very happy, right? She's, she's out of her mind about what's going to happen because to be betrothed to a man meant that you're already married. You're already married. So Mary, married Mary, already married, waiting for Joseph to finish the house. So traditionally what would have happened is Joseph would have added on to his, his father's house. They would have gone and lived with their family. Uh, that's wild to me. I can't imagine that being a good idea, but in many cultures of the world it is. So, um, but you add on to the house, you, you finish that, then you come back, get your wife, your bride, you bring her back, and then you live there. So she would have been waiting dreaming, thinking, what's the future going to be like? Man, we're going to have like 41 kids. It's going to be great because that's how many babies I had back then. Lots and lots of babies. Um, but this, this happy idea of, uh, of waiting, hope, ideal was going on in her heart. And then, and then an angel shows up. Then an angel shows up. And many of us have these weird ideas of angels. We think of them being like, you know, underdeveloped, big-bellied, uh, little people that apparently speak like a baby as well, wearing diapers, like little locks of hair, and somehow they come and bring these wild messages. This is not what angels are. We got that from toilet paper commercials and uh, messed up artists of the Renaissance period. I, maybe I'm getting that wrong. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm talking. So I'm on cold meds, remember? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, you can make stuff up if you want about Renaissance period. I don't even know. Anyway, uh, so it's not that. It's not that. These angels are, are messengers, warriors of light, powerful beings. They freak people out. If a baby shows up in my house, I'm like, ooh, right? I'm not like, oh, what are you doing here? Right? I'm going to like cuddle him and change his poopy and like take care of him, not lose my mind. When people encounter angels, they lose their mind. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. This powerful angel sent by God, scary thing, absolute terror. And yet what he does is he disarms Mary. And look, Luke 1, 28 through 30. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. Obviously she's troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So he does a few things here. He tells her her name. You're not just a number. You're Mary. You're not someone I'm using. I'm sent by God to you, Mary. You are very specific in the plans of God. So he disarms her fear with letting her know you're not just a number. You matter. And if you're here this morning, you matter to God. Doesn't matter what you've done, where you're from, whether you believe that God exists or not, you matter to him. Advent is for you. And Advent is because of you, and we'll find out why in a little while. But you matter. The second thing is when the angel speaks to Mary, he says, oh, favored one. And then he says in verse 30, Mary, you have found favor with God. Favor is unmerited expression of love. You did nothing to deserve this. This is God's love moving towards you full force, not because of you and what you've done, but because of who God is. In fact, in the New Testament, we find out that God is love. Love flows from him. And so this favor coming to Mary is not based on who Mary is, but is based on who God is, that he's flowing his love towards her. 
that she is favor, finding favor with him. Now, what do you associate favor with? I associate favor with uh, kind of teacher's pet, right? So you get special treatment, uh, you get advantage, you get front of the line, um, you get comfort, you're spoiled, right? That's my understanding of, of favor, right? That you always kind of get what you want. But when we look at the Bible, favor is something much different. There's this guy in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, a guy named Noah. Uh, if you saw the movie about Noah and the flood, it's wrong. It's horrible, stupid. If you own the physical copy, go ahead and, and break that. Uh, it's completely inaccurate. Um, I don't know why I'm into destruction this morning. I just don't feel well. So break everything that you want, apparently. Uh, but Noah, <clears throat> Noah says he found grace, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It said that the world was completely evil. Everyone was evil. It says in Genesis 6 that every intention of the heart was evil. Oh, that's really bad. So it's not even the action. It's every intention is bad. But Noah found favor. Noah found grace. And so you think, oh, so Noah's going to have it made. He's going to be spoiled. He's going to get special treatment. No, Noah spent 120 years building a boat. It hadn't rained up to this point yet, as far as we know. So go build a boat to save people from something that hasn't yet happened. So Noah would have been mocked. Noah would have been alone. Noah would have gone to work every day to a seemingly useless job. And he would have had people saying, why are you doing this? Well, God told me to do it. That would have been his response. 120 years. Try going 120 hours without doubting. Go 120 minutes without doubting. 120 years of moving in the favor of God. And yet the favor of God wasn't easy on him. In fact, it left him completely alone with his wife and a few members of his family. But through Noah, the favor that God gave to Noah, God was restarting humanity. Restarting humanity, that's a pretty big deal. And what God gave Noah to do, it's, it's very similar to what God, through the angel, is telling Mary she is going to be about. Look at Luke 1, 31. Behold, behold, strong word. <clears throat> you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, this is a great future promise. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to be married soon. Joseph's going to come. He's got probably already built a, a, not a manger, because we don't lay babies in mangers normally, like a crib or at least a little place that animals aren't going to be fighting for control over, um, right? So great future promise, bad reality now, because she's not married. She's not married. Virgin. So she brings up this great question. Uh, How is this going to be since I'm a virgin? Now, Mary, I'm convinced, had the talk with her parents. I'm convinced Mary didn't believe the movie Storks was real. That she knew how babies were born. She knew where babies came from. And if you don't know, well, ask someone later. I'm not going to do that. I'm on meds. I don't want to go too deep this morning. But Mary knew where they came from. What I think Mary is doing in this moment is she's counting the cost of walking into the favor of the Lord. 
She's counting the cost of walking into the favor that she is receiving from the Lord. Because as we saw with Noah, favor of the Lord does not mean ease. Does not mean that things are going to be easy. The favor that you receive, okay, I'm gonna talk about us. The favor that we receive is always for us, but not just for us. It's for others as well. So the favor that we receive, it's always for us, but it's always for others also. The Lord never blesses anyone in scripture just for them. It's always for them and for someone else. So Genesis, we looked at Noah already. Let me talk about Abraham for two seconds. Abraham. Abraham was a moon worshiper, didn't know about the true and living God. God calls Abraham out of his land and says, I'm going to use you, moon worshiper, to now worship me. No longer are you going to worship fully these false gods. You're going to worship the true God. And I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to all nations. Hear that. I'm going to bless you so that you're a blessing to all nations. And this is what happens with Abraham. We get to Isaac, Abraham's son. Then we get to uh, Jacob, Isaac's son. Then we get to one of Jacob's 12 sons named Joseph. Now, Joseph was the favored one in his family. Joseph was disliked by his brothers because he was favored and probably spoiled. So they threw Joseph in a pit and then sold Joseph into slavery. Joseph went into the land of Egypt. Joseph worked for this guy named Potiphar, was accused by his wife of trying to rape her. And so they put Joseph into prison. While Joseph was in prison, he still had favor. He was like running the prison, right? Anything Joseph did, he had this Midas touch. It just kept turning to gold that Joseph had favor from the Lord. And it ended up being that Joseph was second in command in the entire world. So Joseph received favor. Joseph received favor from God, but it went through false accusations of rape into a prison, being forgotten, and then being put in a place of of prominence. So the favor of God is not always easy. The favor of God is not just that you feel nice and warm and fuzzy. Oh, I love this favor. It's so gentle. It's like a teddy bear I squeeze at night. That's not the favor of God. The favor of God is always for you, but it's always for others as well. It's not a teddy bear you cuddle. It's something that you give away. And so if the Lord grants you favor, you have to ask, okay, who is this to bless? So we think about Christmas bonuses. Let me go back to another movie. National Lampoon's Christmas. Love the movie. Love the movie. He's waiting for his bonus check so he can put in the big pool, right? And then he gets some subscription to some nothing, right? And he's so upset. But he's looking for the favor just for him and what he can do with this, right? And that's what we often do. Christmas bonus for me. We don't think about, Lord, you've blessed me above and beyond so that I can be a blessing to others, Maybe your Christmas bonus is so that you can have the biggest party in your neighborhood. Maybe your Christmas bonus is to buy Christmas gifts for the families who don't have any money to buy Christmas gifts. I don't know. I'm not going to prescribe that to you. But the things that we receive, and I want to say everything that we receive, any favor that we receive from the Lord, isn't just for us, it's for others. Even if you know Jesus as your rescuer and as your king, that's not just for you to be warm and fuzzy with. 
That's also for you to now be an ambassador of reconciliation who goes out and declares and demonstrates the truth and reality of who he is. Now the details. She asks a great question, right? How's this going to be on virgin? I know how this all works, Gabe. What are the details of this? <clears throat> the angel answered, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is a sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. What, what's amazing is that uh, the angel lets her know what's going to happen. There's not going to be a man involved. Uh, by the way, this is going to be the son of God, and we'll get to the details of that in just a few minutes. Um, but you don't think this is possible. I'm sure of it, right? People today are like, ah, virgin birth. I don't believe in that. Only people back then. Are you kidding me? You think Mary was sitting there being like, no, I completely think this is a possibility. I know all kinds of virgins who have babies, <laughs> right? They're liars. If they're virgins that have babies, they're liars, I don't know where to go with that. Um, <laughs> the, but what, what, what the angel says to her is, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I know that you think this is impossible. So I, I believe that John the baptizer, fully in God's plan, but I also think that John the baptizer was a sign for Mary because John the baptizer came through Elizabeth. This was a relative of Mary. Elizabeth was old, barren, couldn't have babies. She was like Grandma Elizabeth with no kids, right? And what does the angel say? Um, and just so you know, uh, she's pregnant. So if you're thinking this is impossible, that wasn't possible either. And then what Mary does after this text, and we're not going to look at it this morning, is she goes and spends time with Elizabeth. Let me go make sure this is true. This wasn't like a Facebook thing, like, let me see the pictures. Let me, oh, cool, she's, she's showing. It's a boy. It's John the Baptist. He's jumping. Yay, Spirit of God's there. It wasn't that. It wasn't that, right? So she went and spent time with her. But just imagine being married. Maybe you've imagined this before. What would people think of you, right? Imagine being married. Okay, so I'm going to be a virgin, and I'm going to give birth to a baby, and it's God's. And somehow everyone's going to be okay with that. Right? What is going on in you? You're going to have to own, I'm going to have a new reputation. My new reputation is going to be unfaithful. And that's a nice way of saying whore, right? So I'm going to be known as the unfaithful one. What's Joseph going to think, Right? And, and an angel shows up to Joseph in a dream uh, in another passage we'll look at later on in the series. What's Joseph going to think? He's going to come back. What if I don't even have a man? What if it's just me? Just me and Jesus. How's this going to be? Like she's weighing this, all, all this out. The rest of her life is going to be changed. She's going to be seen as cursed. She's going to have to wear the scarlet letter because no one is ever going to believe that this baby is God's. How would you respond? Lord, I'll do anything else, but don't make me do this. Lord, make Joseph be the one that's pregnant. <laughs> Show it that way, right? Make a new thing, create a new way in the wilderness. That's what that really means, right? I don't do this differently. 
What would the response be? Look at what Mary says. Let it happen as you said. Let it happen as you said. Don't change a thing. Everything that you've said, I want that to take place. I mean, this was gonna wreck Mary's life. This was Buddy the Elf showing up, right? Wrecking life. Except this is more traumatic. Because people weren't into that. People weren't into to, to, to kids out of marriage at that point, right? So it would wreck her. Why would someone want this? Why would she say this? Well, here's why. Chapter one, verse 38. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I am the servant of the Lord. And then in verse 48, he has looked in the humble estate of his servant. You see, the way that she saw herself was servant. Servants only want what their masters want. Servants aren't interested in what they get out of the deal. Servants are interested in what the master is giving them to do. And they're excited to be able to do that. Or at least they're joyful to be able to do that. It might not be happy. It might not be, yes, circumstances are exactly the way that I would choose for them to be. But there's joy moving inside of her. This wasn't about her. And if we're servants of the Lord, which if you've been rescued and brought into the kingdom of God, you're a servant of him. You said, I don't want life the way that I want it to be. I want life the way that the Lord wants for it to be. I wanna be about that. I'm here for that. You see, she saw past her situation. This is most likely a teenage girl. Scholars think like 15, 13 to 15 to 16. Teenage girl. How many 13 to 16-year-old girls see past their situation? How many 45-year-old women see past their situation, right? And I'll bring guys into it. It's not just a woman's thing, right? Um, how many guys see past their situation, right? We're so focused on ourselves, and yet she had the maturity. Something was going on inside of her that she saw past her situation and she saw the bigger picture of what was taking place. She knew that generations were going to call her blessed. Isn't that amazing? The reality is that people would call her cursed. But she knew that for generations, people would call her blessed. Right, there's certain um, groups within Christendom, I, I disagree with this, the idea of praying to Mary, uh, but they would call her blessed, right? And we would call Mary blessed in, in the way, not because of who she was, but because of the privilege that she had. And I think she understood this. Generations are gonna call me blessed, not because of who I am, but because of the privilege that I have to be part of God's rescue mission in this way. You see, her delight wasn't in the virgin birth. I don't think she delighted in that at all. Oh good, I'm so glad to be the only one to ever have a baby while a virgin. I don't think that was, I think that was her thing. I think where her delight came from was in what God was going to accomplish through her. The content of the gift. So we've seen the circumstances, we've seen Mary's response, and now we'll see the content of the gift. And it's gonna be in uh, chapter one, verse 31 to 33. Might have to uh, push that along, Jordan. Luke 1, 31, there we go. And behold, 
You will conceive in your womb, bear a son, you should call his name Jesus. He will be great, he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So a few things, son of God. This doesn't mean that God is in the heaven all by himself and now he's gonna have a baby, right? He and Mary are gonna have a baby together. No, son of God is a title, God the son. So we believe in one God who has always existed and will never have an end that exists in three beings, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, yet remains one God. And you say, that's a bit complex. I said, yeah, welcome to the complex club. You say, that's a bit mind-blowing. Boom, pound it. Get it. It's out there. And yet there's so much about God that we can't fully comprehend, yet we believe. Right, you don't have to understand everything about God. And in fact, if I could understand everything about God, I'd be very suspicious about God. If me being a creation can figure out the creator in all of his essence, then I would be suspicious of that. In the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, it says that it's gonna take us an eternity to figure out the depths of who God is. So that means that we're never, ever going to know all of the depth of who God is, but we'll always be exploring this. This is marvelous. This gives me, I, I think that it gives me the chills. It's not the cold meds giving me the chills, but, um, but this is amazing. So son of God, God, eternal God is going to take on flesh. God, the son is being sent by God, the father and the spirit to come and take on flesh. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. His name is going to be called Jesus, Yeshua, or Joshua. And what we know about Joshua from the Old Testament is that he was the one that led the people of God into the promised land. The people of God were rescued out of Egypt, brought into the promised land that God had for them to be dwelling in. And this new Yeshua, this new Joshua, this Jesus, was going to do a better work than Joshua did. In the book of Matthew, Chapter one, verse 21, we read this. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the better work that Jesus was going to do. Joshua in the Old Testament could only bring people into the promised land and lead them into battle. Jesus is coming to rescue his people from sin. Now sin, I said this many times, but sin is an archer's term, okay? And it means to miss the mark. So there's a mark of perfection that God has set and an archer term means if you sin, you miss the mark. So what we find out in the New Testament is that we've all sinned. Every human is not perfect. None of us are on the nice list. We're all on the naughty list. None of us should receive presents. We should all get coal that not only sits in our stocking but then eats us up and devours us, right? Radioactive coal that some... Nuclear thing happens when we see it. Like we should be devoured. <clears throat> that we, we sin. We're not perfect. And what we see in this is that Jesus has come to save his people from sins. So the only one on the nice list, the only one that's ever been on the nice list comes for those who are on the naughty list. This is why Jesus was sent. That he came for, for rebels 
Those of us that give God the finger, who shake our fist, who say, we have a better idea of how things should be. God came for us. For the nice little religious kids who are sitting in a corner, rocking back and forth, reciting memory verses, saying, I've done all these things. I'm alone. I, I'm, I'm doing all these things to show God how amazing I am. God didn't come for you. If you think that you can earn God's favor by being nice enough, you miss the point of Christmas. You miss the point of Advent. You miss the point of Jesus. Jesus came because you couldn't be nice enough. You couldn't be good enough. And so he comes. He lives a perfect life. Jesus grows up. Always being on the nice list. Never misses the mark. And he goes to the cross for those of us on the naughty lists, for those of us who have sinned. You see, God doesn't turn a blind eye. I think Santa Claus is a joke. I think Santa Claus, the whole idea is, is like wooing kids into, you know, trying to be good. And then the Germans have figured out like, well, we can't woo kids into it. So now we need the scare tactic of Krampus, bring him in. Uh, but Santa Claus is just this fat old man <clears throat> that is our, our idea of him, right? He was a true saint. Um, but but this, this fat old man to, to help kids try and be better. And, and we create these little religious monsters, And yet Jesus came because he knew that none of us could be good enough. God doesn't turn a blind eye. He's not a Santa Claus. He doesn't say, oh, you've been good enough, little boy, little girl, I'll show up. No, God doesn't turn a blind eye. He looks at the evil that exists in your heart and he says, I need to destroy that. But he says, rather than destroying you, I'm gonna send my son and he's gonna take it from you and I'm gonna destroy him. This is what Christmas is about. I watched this dumb Christmas special last night, uh, Home. Um, and it was, it was epic at one point because they were singing Oh Holy Night, talking about Jesus. I'm like, wow, they're singing about this. And then they landed with Christmas is a feeling. And I'm like, heresy! You know, like, children, shut your ears! And, and I wasn't feeling that great, so I didn't, right? I just let them... We'll watch it a second time, don't worry. But, but that Christmas isn't a feeling. Christmas is about God not turning a blind eye to evil, but coming and doing something about it by him taking on flesh and bearing the full weight of evil on himself on the cross, paying for it so that you and I don't ever have to pay for it. Salvation comes through Jesus. And this, the, the way that salvation came through Noah on the ark right? God working through Noah. Uh, salvation comes through Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and this new humanity appears out of the tomb. Jesus doesn't remain dead. He rises from the dead. This is the good news, right? And so Jesus rises and now gives hope for a new humanity again, a humanity that will not experience sin, suffering, death, hell, none of it. And this is a gift for you. You might be thinking, I don't know what I'm gonna receive for Christmas this year. I guarantee this far outweighs any of the crap that anyone got you on Cyber Monday. This is way better. You get to be part of new creation, new humanity. You get to be known by God. You receive favor from God. It won't be easy. Favor is not easy, but it's eternal. It's eternal. 
eternal favor from God. This is a gift for you. Now, here's the deal with this gift. This gift is only for the imperfect. This gift is only for the failures. This gift is only for the outcasts. And if you say, ah, I'm not in that category. Well, you actually are. You just haven't owned that yet. The gift is for the sinner. When we own this, then we're ready to receive the gift. Right, the, the name tag says to you, to your name. But until you acknowledge I am that person, you can't actually take the gift. So this morning you get to acknowledge, that's me. Or you get to acknowledge again, that was me. God, wow, you did that for me. This is amazing. I get to celebrate. My heart gets to be joyful now. It's taken my heart a while, all right? But I'm getting there, right? Joyful. Look at what Bruce Coburn says in his song, Cry of a Tiny Babe. Amazing song, amazing song. It says, there are others who know about this miracle birth. The humblest of people catch a glimpse of their worth. For it isn't to the palace where the Christ child comes, but to shepherds and street people, hookers and bums. And the message is clear if you've got ears to hear that forgiveness is given for your guilt and your fear. And that's just a small part of the song, but that's reality. That, it, that if you hear what I'm saying this morning and you hear it for you, then, then this is rescue for you. This is rescue for you. This is good news for you. And this kingdom will have no end. Remember what the angel said to Mary, that, that this one who's coming, he's gonna receive the throne of his father David, right? His great, 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 great grandfather David and his kingdom will have no end. And this is good news. Last night, uh, we do this advent calendar with our kids and um, we, uh, Revelation twenty two thirteen. Um, is, is the verse, uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And my wife was leading us through that time. And, uh, and we just stopped and we said, okay, kids, go ahead and imagine what it's like, you know, for when Jesus began, right? We asked the question, when did, when did Jesus begin? And the kids said the words like, well, never. Okay, well, what does that mean? That he never had a beginning, and I want to invite you into that mind-blowing experience, sitting and imagining that Jesus never, ever had a beginning. God never had a beginning. What's going to happen in your mind if your mind's like mine is, yeah, okay, I, I understand, but when did he really begin? Ah, no, no, there was no beginning. Okay, yeah, I get that. But when did he really begin? No beginning. Your heart should feel a bit weird. I think when our heart gets to that place, we're, we're ready to worship. And then we go to the other side. I am the omega, the last, the end. What we said to our kids last night was, when Jesus comes and, and, and brings us to be with him, we're not gonna have any, any end. There, there's, no gonna be, there's not gonna be any ending. Jesus is the end. It's like, okay, yeah, but when are we gonna, when, when is it really gonna be the end? Oh, no, no, there's no end. Oh, yeah, okay. But, but like, really, when will it end? No, there'll be no end. And again, your mind and heart should just feel a bit awkward because we're not used to that. And again, your heart is ready to worship. And I walked into the kitchen quietly and they, they were discussing things and my heart was leaping for joy because I, I once again was caught up in this, this this miracle, that I get to be part of this story that never ends. 
We get to be part of the story of God coming and rescuing his people, not just so we can have a, a fun holiday, but so that we can have a forever holiday with him. This is what we're invited into. This is our story. This should cause our minds to be blown. We should never get over this gift. We should have Revelation twenty two thirteen at the front of our minds all the time. You should practice that exercise often. And what I realized last night and again this morning is that we have favor. What did I do to be part of the story? Nothing. What did you do to be part of the story? Nothing. It's all because of what he has done. This is favor. So what do we do with this? Well, I think we do the same as Mary. We worship. We worship fully. Not just a little bit. We, we give our full selves to worship of, of this God. And so Mary has this beautiful song that I'm just gonna run through really quick. In chapter one, verse 46 to 55. And here's what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord's. And my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. She's not rejoicing in what she's lost. She's rejoicing in what she's gained. I get you, God. My spirit is like a magnifying glass that when people are looking at me, they should see the enormous nature of who God is because of how I'm responding to him. And he calls us blessed. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. If you are a follower of Jesus, I guarantee you this. The world, the, the world means opposition to God. Opposition to God will not look at you and be like, ah, oh, you're so blessed. You're just such a blessing. You're so blessed. They will not say that. But the Lord says that. The Lord says, you are my people. You are blessed. You have found favor. You have found favor. And what are we blessed with? We're blessed with mercy. We're blessed with mercy. That the Lord has taken his scope, focused it in. I know gun analogies are bad to use, right? So trying not to use those, but, but a scope, right? That they, he focus in his scope on, on you and take aim at your heart. And rather than, than shooting death at you, he gives you mercy. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Not receiving what you deserve. And grace is receiving what you don't deserve. And this is what Mary highlights, that we're blessed with mercy. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, which means his mercy is for us today. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel or his people, right? In remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, forever. You see, God is on this conspiracy God's been about this conspiracy to gift us through Jesus with mercy. And when you receive mercy, it refocuses your attention. You ever got pulled over? I have. You ever got pulled over and not been given a ticket? That's a really good feeling. Mercy. What does mercy do? It refocuses our attention. 
Now, in that case, it's momentary. You're probably not going to stay under the speed limit forever, but at least for those first few kilometers, you're thankful and that's moving you to obey, right? But mercy refocuses our attention, right? When, when someone forgives a debt that you owe. Uh, my grandfather, uh, before he passed away, uh, he, he paid off $20,000 of debt for me. Gone. Crazy. Mercy. What does mercy do? Mercy all of a sudden was like, whoa, I need to be more careful with my finances. Wow, I need, to, I need to use these things. But right, it refocuses our attention. When we see the mercy of Jesus, which I hope we're seeing this morning, it refocuses our attention. We're reawakened to the reality that we lack nothing. Don't go into this Christmas season thinking, oh, I can't wait for what I get. You already have everything in Jesus. You have everything. Anything you get above and beyond that, that's just extra. That's just extra favor that maybe is for you, but it's always for others, right? You lack nothing going into the season. This is the most depressing time for so many people because our our hopes are unfulfilled of what the season would bring to us. But before we even go in to the season, our hope is rooted Hope means confident expectation. We have this confident expectation in who Jesus is and what he's already done. So you can sit there on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning around an empty tree and be joyful knowing that you have everything in Christ, everything that you need in him. And so you don't have to wait to worship. You can worship this morning. You can worship the Lord fully for what he's already done and you can embrace the favor that God has given to you so that you can be a blessing to others throughout this Advent season. And it shouldn't just be through this Advent season. Nowhere in the Bible do you see, hey, when Christmas rolls around and decorations come out, make sure you're giving. No, we should be lead servants, lead givers all the time. But this is a beautiful opportunity to be reminded that redemption rips Redemption continues to rip through time because of this baby who came, lived, grew up, died, rose again, rose, and is coming again. So this whole series is going to be how do we rethink Christmas? How do we rethink Advent? And we start here with our hearts full of worship for who the Lord really is. Over the next few weeks, we'll see practical ways. I'll throw them up here now of how we can bless so we can spend less and we'll look at that next week. Then we can give more. Look at that the week after and then we'll do a bilingual gathering December 24th about about loving all. But this morning, this morning, I want for us to fix our eyes on on the Savior of mercy. The Savior who wants to give you mercy. Who wants to give mercy through you to this city, especially during this season. So let me pray for us and then we'll respond. I hope your heart is full. My heart is full right now. My heart is joyful. My voice is not, but my heart is. So let me pray for our hearts. 
Lord, thank you that you are a great God. Thank you that you bring joy, that you are the great giver of joy. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you are not bound up by circumstance. Uh, thank you that you wanna break into hearts all over the city. Thank you that you wanna, wanna change people um, from being enemies of you into being your family. Thank you that you came, Jesus, and did what we couldn't do for ourselves. Thank you that your scope is still focused on us and it's one of mercy. Thank you that you are the great God who is coming back, Jesus. Thank you that you have choked out death and one day it will be gone forever. Thank you that this Christmas, if we go into this season depressed because we don't know what we're gonna get or who we're gonna spend time with, you are present, you are with us. We lack nothing because we have you. Our, our hope, our confident expectation is that you are for us, you're not against us, you love us, you came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves and we need you, we need you to remind us of that. So would you help our hearts to go back to that place where my heart was last night, thinking of you had no beginning, you have no ending. What's the limit of your mercy? There is no limit. How much grace is too much grace? There is no such thing as too much grace. You have this, this unending fountain, storehouse of mercy and grace that's for all those who will come to you. Lord, we need you this morning. We pray that you'd help us respond well. Pray it in your name, Jesus, amen.